If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 through 10. And again, this is a well-known passage, especially if you have learned how to give a gospel presentation. This is usually one of the passages that we go to in order to make uh, people understand the gospel message clearly. And so it's a well-known passage. And so what's happening here is we're kind of shifting from Ephesians chapter 1, where it's written more from the point of salvation, from the perspective of God. And that's why um, we offer praise, praise for what God has done through Christ to us. And so in chapter 2, it actually kind of switches from um, the godly perspective to the human point of view in regards to salvation. And so, again, this is another long sentence. It's one sentence that we now make up through 10 verses. So, um, again, I want you to kind of understand that because we're going to kind of pick it apart. And we're going to see how it looks at us being dead in sin in verses 1 through 3. How we are alive in Christ, verses 4 through 9. And then how we live in Christ, verse 10. And so, I want you to kind of understand that as we look at it. So, if you have ever thought about going to um, to a funeral home or gone out into a place where you are at a graveside at a cemetery. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had this desire, but maybe you felt at some point that you wanted to preach to the bones, thinking uh, that what the Bible said of preaching to the bones and then the, the dead would rise. Now, probably if you've ever done that, which would be a little different in and of itself, But the biggest thing probably would be if you had an expectation for people to come out of the grave. So you would go and speak the gospel, but you would never think that someone's going to pop out of the grave. But now think about this. Jesus goes and raises Lazarus and he knew Lazarus was going to come forth. See, there's a difference because we know that Lazarus hears the word of the Lord and he responds, but it's Jesus who's responsible for the new life. And so I want you to keep that picture of being dead in your mind as we walk through this passage. And what does it mean to take and bring us back to life again in Christ? So we're looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we ask that the Holy Spirit would lead and to guide. 
for your Holy Spirit pinned this through the hand of Paul so many years ago, but we have the same Spirit who speaks to us and applies it to our heads and to our hearts. So, Father, may we truly grasp and understand this idea of salvation that you bring to us in Christ so that we might rightly understand it and apply it, but then, Lord, that we might preach it as we go forth, people changed by the gospel, prepared for works because we are created by you in Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at, verses 1 through 3 this morning. So we are dead in sin. Now, why does he use the word dead in sin? Well, we have to understand that even though we are physically alive, we are dead spiritually. And again, we're dead in sin. Now, again, most of us think about this and we go, well, I'm not really that bad. Now, what sometimes frustrates me is if I go and I speak to people and I say, have you stolen something? You know, again, 100% of hands would go up. Everyone has stolen something, but nobody wants to be known as a thief. If I say, have you lied? Yes, everyone would raise their hand. Everybody has lied to someone to some point about something, but none of us want to be known as a liar. See, we don't want to be known or defined by our sins, but yet our sin nature is what makes us spiritually dead. And again, a lot of people begin to define sin as just being bad. And they say, well, I'm not a bad person. Well, the defining of sin is actually missing the mark. It means not being perfect. And so there are, the reality for us is that we can do good things for the wrong reasons and be in sin. And so again, if we're doing anything outside of where God directs us and leads us, then we are sinning. And because we're in sin, then what we have to deal with is the wrath of God. Now, many people have a view of God, and there's different views out there. Some people believe that God is, is a benevolent God. He's this great grandfather in the sky or a great Santa Claus, but he's weak. He can't change our situations. He's not sovereign. He can't change the situations we're in. He's just a nice guy. Others think of God as being all-powerful, but he's distant. He's not in your life. He doesn't care whether you get a close parking space next to um, Publix during the rain or not. He doesn't care about those kind of things. He doesn't care about what's going on in your life. He's just very distant from you. He's all-powerful, but he's someone to be feared. But that's not the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible talks very clearly to us that he has a wrath against sin. And his wrath is consistent, it's controlled, and it's judicial. There has to be a payment for that. There has to be perfection that allows us to come into his presence. And the thing he says, the Apostle Paul says, all of us have been there. Everyone, everyone is dead, they're enslaved, and they're condemned. So we're dead in sin, but then it says that we walk, we walk in evil. Now, again, I want you to kind of get this picture from the TV shows of that as a zombie. That's a great picture of kind of what's going on. It's the walking dead. That's what we are as Christians, our people before Christ. Um, we're walking dead. We're people who are still walking around. And he talks about two external things that we deal with and then one eternal. The two external, the first one is the world. We're still active to wickedness. 
And worldliness is, uh, happens very subtly. It, it lures us in. It begins to make us think that there are things that we're not getting. Things that, uh, you know, we start to say, well, you're not loving if you don't accept do Fill in the blank. Yeah, get married. Say the vows that you're going to promise this to somebody. But you, what you really need to do is get a prenuptial agreement because nobody ever fulfills those vows. So we begin to kind of hear the world subtly um, kind of walk into us and walk into our lives. And so we begin to make decisions upon that. So it was where I was for so many years of I could go to church on Sunday, praise God, um, go to youth group, do all those things, act like a good person on Sunday. But then on Monday, I was back to the ways of the world trying to find out where the party was going to be on Friday and Saturday night of the coming week, living according to the standards of the world. And so there's a, a wickedness that goes on and, and it subtly tears apart who we are. There's also a second external, and that is Satan or the ruler of this world. And he brings about counterfeit things. He sells to us uh, goods that don't fulfill See, he's given some power, and this is by God's permission, but he's only a creature. And so he continually brings before us things that we think might be good for us, or things that might make us free. He also brings things or whispers lies into our ears, or sometimes maybe he even might whisper truths. You're not good enough. You're not. But what Christ does is he comes and he fights against that. And we'll see that as he makes us alive. Uh, Phillips, Pastor Phillips says this, Man in sin is not free as he imagines, but he's under the vicious rule of Satan all the time. See, we think we're free, but we're really underneath the rule. So there's two external things that are going on, our fight against the world and our fight against Satan. But there's also the thing that's with inside of us, our own flesh. See, there's an internal condition of our heart. We are born with this nature. We decide to do these things. Listen, there's a, a statue in, in Dublin of Oscar Wilde. And Oscar Wilde um, said this, who, uh, who became very famous. And uh, he ends up dying in prison in disgrace. And this is what he says about his life. And he is not a Christian. The gods, lower G, the gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search of new sensations. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber, one has some day to cry aloud from the housetop. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended it in horrible disgrace. See, this is a non-Christian talking about how he dealt with his own struggles on the inside. And this is where man is. We walk according to the world. We walk according to Satan. And we walk within our own flesh. Romans 13, 13 and 14. So let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, left unto ourselves, we always choose to go our own way. So that's the bad news for us. We're dead in trespasses. We walk according to the world, Satan and flesh. But verse 9 begins to change everything because it talks about being made alive in Christ. And it starts with some of the greatest words that you'll ever see in the scripture, but God. So in those two little words, you find in essence the gospel message. See, it says while we were still in our sin, we're still dead. God is the one who intervened on our behalf. It's the Roman 5 passage, right? Where it starts to talk about the character that's developed. And it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still weak. See, it's where we find ourselves in the midst of scandalous grace. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we should look at our lives and say, God should not love me because of fill in the blank. He shouldn't love me. He shouldn't have given his life for me. But while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for you. And as such, it says this happens because the foundation of who God is, is because of his love and his mercy. See, it's the, the love becomes that great foundation. He loved us where? Before the foundation of the world. We've been talking about it. He loved us before he even created all things. And that love is unchanging. He cannot change in his character. He cannot change in his choices. He's faithful, always has been, always will be. And because he is faithful, that love is that sure foundation. And out of that sure foundation comes for us his mercy. And his mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We all deserve to go to hell. We all deserve destruction. Where we get caught up is the sense of saying, well, why does God save some, but he doesn't save everyone? That's where we get caught. And it's the answer we don't have. And yet, um, Robert says this, In regard to that part of the passage, knowing God by his grace permeates this discussion. It is easier to admit in humility that I don't have all the answers. Indeed, don't even know the right questions to ask. But I revel in the knowledge of God. He loves me and he knows me. And as a result, I know him. He is infinite and I'll never exhaustively know him or have all the answers that I might desire. But knowing him puts everything, even questions about the divine sovereignty, human responsibility, attention in the Christian life, in a wonderful perspective. I will never perfectly understand my wife and the workings of her mind, but I can rest in her love for me and knowing in her doing so put myself in a much better position to try to understand the inscrutable. We are all little children climbing into our father's lap and asking him our heartfelt, but from his perspective, childish questions. See, he allows us because of who he is, because of his love and mercy, he allows us as children to run to him and to say, I don't understand, but I trust you because you're good. 
And what he does for us is then he begins to unpack the passage by saying that we are alive in Christ. And he talks about it by three different ways. We're raised in Christ, we're seated with Christ, and then this is how he gives his kindness. The first thing are we are raised in Christ. It's the resurrection power that we talked about. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that called Lazarus from the tomb. That is the power that is within you if you are a Christian. You have that power. And it's the same power that gives us the understanding of the scripture. It's why at one point, uh, if you were in church and you were raised in church and you're thinking church is so boring and this is dull and I don't understand it. And why do we sing these stupid songs and why do we waste our time? And then all of a sudden you hear the gospel message and the next week you kind of go, well, all of a sudden the, the service seems a lot better and the pastor makes sense now and the songs sound a little bit better. What's changed? It's the Holy Spirit within you, drawing you closer to God. He's transforming you in Christ. Because there is a federal union, something where we have, understand him being a second Adam. Adam, in the first place, in Eden, he messed it all up. Christ makes everything right. And so we're united to him as an imputation. And that imputation allows us to not only have a federal union with him, but we have an experience with him. That's why he says we are the branches to his vine. We have to be in Christ. And as we're in Christ, therefore he says there's a couple of things. We are seated with him. Now this is past tense. It's not saying we will be seated with him in the heavens. He's saying you're seated with Christ now. And again, we, we figured this out, that a seated at the right hand of God is a place of authority and a place of honor. And when you're seated, it means you have done, you have fulfilled the calling. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us, he looks at his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have already the status of being his children. And so we are seated with Christ next to God. And not only are we seated next to him, he says, then we also have his kindness. Now, where does that come through? Our view of predestination, our theological statement of predestination is the revelation of God's kindness to the world. That he is the one who changes us. Brian Chapel says this, We will not in this life know why God chooses as he does, but we know enough about him to rest assured that his choices are good, they're just, and they're loving. He shows his kindness to a dying world. Now, how does he do this? He does it by grace. And he says very specifically, through faith. Now, again, this is where people from out other denominations, other uh, theological understandings, this is where they would have the big disagreement. But there is a little thing in the Greek. It's called Greek grammar. It's a little different than English. And Greek grammar actually makes sense a lot of times. They use different words uh, in regards to love. We saw that love last week. So we say, I love coffee. I love my wife. I love Chris. I love snakes. Whatever. We use the same word. But we have to, as Americans, as English speakers, we have to figure out, now what does he mean by that? Does he love Chris the same way that he loves the wife? 
Well, of course not. Well, now, if you're some foreigner, you come in and you hear us speak in English, you have no clue what we're talking about. In the Greek, it makes sense. And in the Greek grammar, it goes back to meaning that the pronoun must agree in gender with the noun to which it refers. So in this passage, if you look at verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That is the pronoun that the Greek verb has to match to. So it means that all of salvation, the whole package, comes from God. And so if it comes from God and it's the whole package, then we have to recognize what it's telling us in the scripture. This is a gift of God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God given to us. So he gives us mercy by not sending us to hell, but he gives to us a gift that we could never earn and don't deserve. And that is found within salvation. Why? So that we might not boast. So we might not ever think that we have arrived or think that we are good people. The day that you think that you don't need Christ or you don't need to preach the gospel message to you is a sad day. Christ for us has got to get bigger, not smaller. So again, this is, comes to us in this understanding that again, we're dead in trespasses, but through Christ, we are made alive through him to him. But then we're saved because a lot of times people skip over verse 10. So they give the gospel presentation and they stop at verse 9. But verse 10 is a part of the same sentence. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's a purpose in regards to our being saved in Christ. It means we get to live in Christ. And the first thing he says is we are the workmanship. We are created in Christ. It's why God, go, why Jesus went to Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, again, if you think about that logically, we would have been like Nicodemus and go, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm already an old person. Are you telling me I need to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? That's not what I'm saying, Nicodemus. I'm saying if you are in Christ, if you understood the Messiah that was coming to you and now is speaking to you, you would understand that there has to be a second birth. You have to be in Christ. And as we are in Christ, we are born again. We are his creation. And therefore, we are designed. We are designed for a specific purpose. Now, again, when you go and see a painting, if you go to the Louvre or if you go um, to Washington, D.C. and you go to the Smithsonian's and you see a great work of art, why is it a great work of art? What do you look for? You look for the name of the creator. He's the one, again, that makes the peace worth something. It's no different with us, with God. We are designed and we are his workmanship. We are God's and it's him who receives the glory, not the painting, not the creation. But we were designed for action. We were designed to be used by God for a specific plan. Listen to this uh, poem. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. It's one that's been around uh, for many years and it's talking about an old violin 
It says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good people?' he cried. "'Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar do I hear two. Two dollars. Who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sing. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin? And he held it aloft with its bow. One thousand, one thousand do I hear two. Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed this worth? And swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. See, we are God's workmanship and we are created for a purpose. And that purpose is the good works that God has placed before us. Now, there is a necessity to good works. And I know that sounds... uh, kind of contrary to what we say, especially within the form circles. But listen to the different views. There are some who believe that works are necessary for salvation. So they believe it's Jesus plus works equals salvation. And that's not the true gospel. But there's also others who believe that works don't matter at all. It's only Christ. So those are people who can say, hey, I said the prayer one time. I'm saved. I'm good. But the reality of the scripture says that works are the consequences of salvation. There is a transition that happens after justification. There is a transforming of our minds into the likeness of Jesus. That's why anybody can come to this place. But when we hear the gospel and we're changed, we're not left in the same place. There's a desire to to go out and to be like Christ. Give you a real life example. So uh, Jameson and I are putting together camping stuff and uh, we got a camping chair that had a rip in it. So we had to take it back. And uh, the lady said, well, just go get a, another chair. We'll replace it. So there was an exact chair, but there was a nicer chair, a more expensive chair. And the first desire was, oh, we get a nicer chair and I don't have to spend any more money for it. Because she's just said, pick up the chair and we could have walked out and they would have been none the wiser And they wouldn't have cared. But Christ would have known. The Spirit knew. So we go back to the service department. We lay down the chair, and she's just like, okay. It's like, uh, it's not the same chair. We owe you some money. See, there's a desire that happens to, to where it begins to change us to want to say, okay, even in the little things, I want to give glory and honor to my Savior and Lord. Why? Because he's changed me. And the Holy Spirit moves within me. 
And so he says that we have the necessity of this. And so it's supposed to apply, this faith is supposed to apply to our every area of our life, everything. And so we have the, the, the plan that comes about um, that has this understanding. So we have this plan. And so, you know, there used to be the, the time, and some of you that are older remember this, uh, especially for youth ministry. They used to have these little braces that said WWJD. Okay, and the purpose behind that was, what would Jesus do? Okay, now that's not bad in and of itself, but what it should have meant or should have stood for is what will Jesus do? See, he's our source for our living out the plan. He's the source. See, we can't do it in our own power. So what did I want to do when I was giving the chair back? I want to get a nicer chair for free. I want to leave the carts parked next to my vehicle so they can bang other people's cars when they pull in and say bad words or whatever. I don't want to walk and take it back. So why do I? Because I want to bring glory and honor and praise to Christ. I want him to be glorified. I want people to ask, why did you do that? When you saw 60 other carts laying out in people's way. See, if I was a really good Christian, I would take all 60 carts back. But why is there a difference in us? Because the source that's within us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. What are we supposed to do? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who's working in us. He's cleansing us. He's having the the water of the word wash over us. He's drawing us back to the living by the fruit of the spirit. He's changing us to look more like Christ. Galatians 2, 20. For I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's our source, but he also has given us the plan. And that plan is to do good works. See, we were created for good works. And I want you to think of of different ways. So the first thing we need to know and apply the word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And whatever works this way, make it happen. So, again, if we think about it, probably most of us really don't have a problem memorizing things. Because we memorize the things that we want. Because if I can go, I can go to teenagers now and talk about the, well, the movies a couple years ago and ask them to quote for me the movie. And they can sit there and quote line after line after line after line. Then I go, well, tell me, give me a few verses that you've memorized in the Bible. Uh... We all should be memorizing the word. Whether it's through song, whether it's through um, 
going through and just repeating the same verses over and over again, whatever works for you, we should be taking the word of God and making it go deep into our hearts so that we understand how we should live. But we've also been given spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts come by the power of the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church. How have you been uniquely given your gift to minister to others? Then we also have general good works. We're all supposed to be about prayer. We're all supposed to be giving the gospel message away. We're all supposed to be coming here for worship. There are general good works all of us should do, but we also have been given specific works. And so God has placed you where you are in your unique position with your unique gifts to fulfill a purpose that he has prepared for you before time that only you can fulfill. And all we need to do is ask, Father, not what I want, but what you want so that you might be glorified and honored. So now we are called, all of us, to be missionaries. And let me ask and finish with this question. Are you dead or are you alive? Because if you have no desire to please and glorify your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and if this is boring to you or if this is a chore to you, then you do not know Christ. And you're dead in your sins. And the wages of sin is death. Spiritual, physical, emotional death. But for those who are alive in Christ, it's by Christ and him alone that we're saved and given the opportunity and the source to fulfill the calling that's set before us. So you're either dead or you're alive. And if you're alive... And he tells us to go forth and to preach the gospel to those that are dead and watch God move the people and bring them to life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you use us. And Father, we don't say as some people do that because You are a God who saves you. You're going to save so you don't need us or you don't need us to preach the gospel. Lord, it's just the opposite. We preach the gospel because you've loved us and shown mercy and grace to us. And so, Father, now we have the joy and the opportunity to go forth and to preach your gospel, to heal the sick, to set captives free. For, Lord, we recognize that they are dead They're dead and live according to the world, according to Satan, and even their own flesh. But God, but God in your great mercy and love gave to us Christ as he was raised from the dead. He gives to us life, life abundant, life everlasting. And so, Father, fulfill in us the calling that you've set before us that we recognize that we are truly works that are redeemed by, the, by the, the great creator, the one who gives us worth, and then send us forth to the works that you have prepared in advance for us to do, and may we be found faithful. And so, Father, we thank you 
for the good news of the gospel that is fresh and new to us even this morning. May we respond. Respond in the ways that you've set before us. And Lord, may we grow in our love and understanding of who you are. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.